Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers to humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Ron Martin. And with all that's been happening this week in Japan, we couldn't think of anything else better to talk about today. And first of all, we have a lot of friends from Japan right here at Fort Lewis College. If you're listening in, we want you to know that our heart and our prayers are with you today. And not just with you, but with everybody in Japan as well. If you don't know what's going on in Japan, there was a huge earthquake, one of the biggest in history, followed by a huge tsunami. A lot of people have lost their lives, and now there's a nuclear disaster unfolding. And all this kind of brings up a very hard question, and that is, with all this suffering and pain and evil, how can a good and loving and all-powerful God exist? So we're going to discuss that question and we hope that today you'll get a picture of God's love even in the midst of this type of tragedy. And we hope that some of your questions will be answered. So first of all, from a biblical perspective, the pain and suffering and evil we see in this world result from three main areas. Consequences of my own sin, consequences of other people's sin, and consequences of a fallen world, which is also a consequence of our sin. So it all really goes back to the sin issue, which... Coincidentally, Jesus came to save us from. Sin is literally my decision to do things my way. It's me not measuring up to who God is. Evil, on the other hand, while it can be the result of sin or sin itself, evil can also be thought of as the absence of God or the absence of God's goodness. Just like darkness isn't a real trait, but rather darkness is the absence of light. So evil can be seen as the absence of God's goodness. In Romans 8, 19 through 22, it says that all of creation is under a curse. It refers to a fallen world as a result of our sin, where things like this happen. Jesus himself prophesied that in the end times, we would see more and more earthquakes, and even that we would see tsunamis. You can look at that in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and then you can see a lot more about what we can expect to see in an environmental sense, even global warming and other issues discussed in Revelation 6, 8, 9, and 16. But as bad as all that is, I want to leave you with some hope. Jesus said in John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And with that in mind, as we think about the problem of pain, C.S. Lewis put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And oftentimes, tragedies like this are what get our attention and point us back to Jesus. With that in mind, Ron, are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right, so Ron, if God is good, and if God is all-powerful, why does suffering and evil exist? Hmm. Well, it's one of the oldest questions in philosophy, not just for the Christian, but for the theist in general. Anybody would hold that we live in more than a natural world where we would believe in some kind of higher power or creative power behind our world has to grapple with this issue. Uh, I had a philosophy professor who told me that this is a question where atheists lick their chops and Christians lick their wounds. And it shows the difficulty of dealing with this kind of issue. And here's the way I think about it. And this comes from two major works that have been very influential in my thinking. Uh, First is C.S. Lewis and his book, The Problem of Pain. Lewis was an intellectual who lived uh, during World War II and did most of his writing and speaking during that time. And he felt unqualified to answer this question because he felt so little pain in his life. And then later, after the death of his wife, Joy, 
he readdressed this issue and wrote The Problem of Pain from a position of now one experiencing this deep anguish of life. There's also another book by Professor Peter Kreft of Notre Dame University. His book is called Making Sense Out of Suffering. And what he suggested is that we approach us as sort of a detective, that we have to look for clues along the way. And his first point is that we need to start asking a more complete question. It's often put, in fact, last year during the disaster in Haiti, it was, it was quoted very often as a simple question of, if God is good and God is powerful, why is there suffering at all? But that's really an incomplete question. The bigger question is, what do we know about God? What do we know about how he works in our world? And that develops into a, a much bigger question that says, if God is real, if he is, if he is indeed good, if he is powerful, if he is loving, if he is intimately involved in his creation and in the life of people, then is there a greater purpose to suffering that we never see or aren't willing to see? And I think that's a much more honest question. Those that believe in God uh, often turn to him in disaster because we somewhat ignore him in times of non-disaster. In fact, when we think about it, what we call a natural disaster or this time of great anguish in our land, uh, or in this case of, in Japan and everything that they're going through, we begin to realize that suffering isn't the outside norm activity. It's actually the normal activity of our world between war, suffering, starvation. There's so many things everywhere in our world that remind us that we are not self-sufficient people. We are not able to get through life without some kind of purpose driving us forward. We're more than animals, but we are less than perfect. And that begins to bear out in the question. When we consider that God does love and is involved with his people, we have to ask what could be the purpose in this. And as you mentioned, Nate, uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way, of suffering being the megaphone by which God wakes us out of our slumber. We just so often think that we shouldn't suffer, that there's no purpose to suffering, or even worse, that it's some kind of overt punishment by God for us ignoring him. And that's different than having a purpose that is benevolent. We would think of the way we even treat our children in that sometimes we have to allow them to do things that are hurtful and painful for them to learn the most important lessons of life. There are consequences. There is impact for our actions. That's one of the ways that we need to look at this. Theologically, we talk about sin and the world and the way it impacts people's lives and their existence. And we go back and we say, well, we could understand a personal impact or consequence to our sin for our choices, but what about natural disasters? How does this play? Why is the world, as you mentioned in Romans 8, why is the world under a curse? And there's an illustration that I really enjoy, and I think it's very helpful, that comes from the Star Trek TV series. And it was about uh, the Next Generation Star Trek show, where they were on the Starship Enterprise zooming through space, and for recreation they had this thing called a holodeck. It was this platform on the spaceship that basically was a virtual world and in this virtual world, they could have all kinds of wild adventures. They could be pirates on the open ocean. They could be explorers on land. They could be millionaires. They could be skiing. But all of this existed in a world that was created by computers, and those computers had what is called inhibitors in them. 
the inhibitors made sure that the program wouldn't allow the crew members to do anything that's dangerous or destructive to themselves as part of their virtual world, as part of this world that they were existing in for recreation. I think there's an interesting principle there, and the writers of Star Trek actually borrowed this principle from Christian principles, and that is we live in a world that was created ideal and perfect for people to habitate. People could enjoy God in perfect unity in a perfect world, but something happened. The inhibitors were removed when sin entered in. Sin is kind of a concept that not too many people like to talk about, but it's basically an overt rebellion to God and his law, to God and his relationship with people. When sin entered the world, and we have the record of this in Genesis 2, in a sense, the inhibitors on the world were taken away or disabled. And so we live in a world now that goes through natural processes that we call negative simply because sometimes we don't understand them. But this is what causes everything from earthquakes and tsunamis and right down to the effect that it has on ourselves in a thing that we call cancer or illness, degeneration from age or disease. We resist the idea that that could somehow be a consequence of our overt rebellion to God, but this is what Scripture tells us happened and that there are indeed consequences literally on an earthly and even a universal scale. And to C.S. Lewis's point, that message, that bullhorn of God is saying, do you remember why you're here? There is a greater purpose than just getting along in life, of living pleasurably, of living even comfortably. There is a purpose that I'm calling you back to. Will you listen? Will you hear my voice? And that's one of the clues that we have to uh, the reason that, that things like this happen. It's not to say that we uh, are discompassionate about this. We are very compassionate when we see people suffering. And in a sense, that's the second clue. When we look at other people and feel compassion, when we feel a sense of solidarity with them as human beings, we realize just in that act alone, we have gone beyond the animal kingdom. There's something in us that ties us together, something that causes compassion, that causes to sympathize and empathize with those that are suffering, and it, it makes us want to help them. Biblically, we know that that comes from, again, in Genesis 2, the concept that we are created together, all human beings created in God's image, that we have a rational side to us, that we have a, an emotional side to us, that we have this link to every other human being that bonds us together to them in a way that makes us loving, caring, concerned, and if we look at that idea of sin again, that's another consequence. Where do wars come from? When we separate ourselves from seeing another person as God's image. When we recognize God in that person or being created in the image of God, we should immediately break down the barriers to that person, look for ways to connect and support and love that person. And the further and further we move into what we call a secular society or a modernist society, there seems to be a missing element in that society that bonds us to other people, that makes us compassionate. We look for it, but we don't want to recognize the source of it, and that is that we are indeed created in God's image. Hmm. Wow, that's powerful, Ron. And the greater purpose that you mentioned is why we have an idea of evil in the first place. 
evil isn't just a problem for the Christian, it's a phenomenal problem for the atheist or for mm. somebody that doesn't believe in God. In fact, the idea of evil comes from the assumption of an objective moral standard, which requires an objective moral standard giver, a God. Yep. And if God doesn't exist and there is no objective moral standard, then neither does evil and neither does suffering and neither does pain. In a situation without God, those things would be merely subjective opinions. The fact that we see them as bad and that we see them as evil and as, that we see them as terrible tells us that we know the moral standard in the universe and the all-powerful God that designed this universe with that standard. And in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR, and we're talking about the problem of pain and specifically as it relates to the unfolding tragedy in Japan. Mm. And with that, Ron, I wanted to ask you another question. What about natural disasters? Because we've talked about evil and the consequences of sin, and some people would say, well, a natural disaster is not necessarily the consequence of sin. This is a natural issue. Mm. And if God is all-powerful, some people might say, I can understand how you could sin and hurt me, but why can't God stop a natural disaster? Why do we have natural disasters if God is good and powerful? Mm. How would you answer that, Ron? Well, part of it goes back to what we were talking earlier with C.S. Lewis's statement of, of this gigantic me megaphone called suffering to call us attention to the idea of God and purpose. One of the problems with saying that something is a natural disaster is, again, this idea that we kind of think that this is something that falls out of the norm. We know from uh, geology, cosmology, and physics that our world is winding down. And somehow we convince ourselves that because we're comfortable most of the time, when something like this happens, it's the unusual occurrence. But the bottom line is somewhere in our world, at every moment, something is happening to our world, whether it's volcanoes, whether it's earthquakes, whether it's uh, unusually hot seasons that cause uh, weather fluctuations or cold winters. Our world is operating on a principle of winding down and slowing. Biblically, again, the idea that answers that is that we don't live in an eternal time-space continuum. We live in a time-space continuum that has a beginning, which many people call the Big Bang, and it has an end, which uh, biblically is referred to as the end times, uh, or more explicitly, the time that God will return to earth in the person of Jesus and culminate history in that sense, terminate history with uh, his presence returning to earth and, in essence, judging people uh, in their response to, their, to each other and to him. So when we talk about natural disaster, what we're really talking about is disaster in a world of naturalism. And we're looking, anytime we add the ISM to a word, whether it's naturalism or theism in the, in the case of God, we're talking about a complete system of thought that is not open to any other alternative. And that's one of the things that we want to be cautious of. Um, we talk about politics as socialism, and on and on it goes. But what we really want to say is, is there a greater purpose that could possibly be described in these disasters? We hate to see the loss of life. We see, we're terrified by a nuclear cloud that could come up and impact lives of people, perhaps on a large scale, and we struggle to find meaning and purpose in that. And the biblical principle is that if God is in control of his world, everything has meaning and purpose. Even if it is to remind people of how temporal their lives are, of how much they need to turn to him. 
And that's what we would say is uh, the ultimate purpose of finding some avenue, as it were, back to thinking about God, to thinking of eternal things rather than temporal things or secular things, and asking the harder questions of life. Uh, naturalism, as, as you've seen from a biblical worldview, is a dead end. It cannot account for the beginning of the universe, nor can it account for what happens at the end of the universe. Biblical theology, belief in God, belief in Jesus as God's son, answers all of those questions and answers them lovingly. Wow, that's really good. And with that in mind, I'm going to summarize just a couple different statements from the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry. And they give four different reasons for why we find suffering in the world. And this is quoting directly from their site. First of all, they say, it is possible that God has reasons for allowing evil to exist that we simply cannot understand. Mm. And that makes a whole lot of sense. I'm not God. I don't know everything. And I can't judge what his purpose in allowing some of these disasters to occur is. The second is that God may be letting evil run its course in order to prove that evil is malignant and that suffering which is the unfortunate product of evil, is further proof that anything contrary to God's will is bad, harmful, painful, and leads to death. Mm. So again, this goes back to the sin issue. The third reason that Karm mentions is that God is letting evil occur so that on the day of judgment, the condemned will have no right to say their sentence is unjust. God is not stopping people from exercising their free will. And he goes on to some more explanations there. But I wanted to get to the fourth one. And the fourth is that it is quite possible that God uses the suffering to do good. Again, that was quoted from the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. And I wanted to mention that because this all goes back to our perspective. From a human perspective, it's easy to say it is bad because it is painful to me. And I'm a father. I have two beautiful young daughters. And there are a lot of things that they hate, cleaning their ears, wiping their face, blowing their nose, giving them medicine when they're sick. And whenever I do those things, they scream and they fight and they flail and they kick and they absolutely hate it. And if they could speak, I'm pretty sure they'd say it was the most evil thing in the world. (laughs) All the while, though, they don't understand that it is because I love them that I am blowing their nose. It's because I love them that I'm giving them that medicine that they hate. It's because I love them that I'm clipping their toenails. It's because I love them that I'm putting them down for a nap. And as painful as it is to their situation and from their perspective, from a loving father's perspective, it is not bad, but it is leading to a greater good. And I think you could summarize that thought with this statement. If God can allow physical pain to lead us to eternal life, he'll do that 10 out of 10 times because he's more interested in my spiritual eternity with him than he is with a few years on this physical earth. And not only is God interested in eternity, but the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, tells us that God uses trials and tribulations to develop our character to be more and more who he wants us to be. And so those are some other reasons for um, why um, problems and pain and natural disasters can occur Mm -hmm. here on this earth. So that leads me to another question, which I know Ron has a lot of good answers for. And that question is, where do we find security and comfort in times like this? Because all those answers that we just discussed are kind of theoretical, and they all are true, and they're all legitimate. But to somebody that's actually hurting right now today, they might seem very calloused, and they might seem just like theoretical answers that really don't hit home 
when I'm grieving the loss of a loved one, so to say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we talk about Japan, too, neither of us are oblivious to the fact that, no doubt, within this audience, there are people right now grieving the loss of loved ones here or grieving different tragedies that have occurred. And I've even heard it put this way, Ron, maybe you've heard this. Either you're about to have a tragedy or you're in the middle of a tragedy or you're just coming out of a tragedy. <laughs> so no matter who you are, we don't want to just leave you with a theoretical answer, but we really want to get to the practical nuts and bolts answer about where do we find security? Where do we find comfort when we're hurting? Mm. And where can the people in Japan today find comfort? Ron? Besides the intellectual question of why this might happen, this is probably the most important question that any individual will ever ask themselves. What is the basis of hope in a world where we've been taught over and over and over to reject the idea of religion, of God, of theism, of, of, of who Jesus is and what he claimed to be on this earth and what he did on this earth? Where does hope come from? And we mentioned Romans 8 a little bit earlier, and I just want to complete that thought because Paul says that the creation itself is groaning and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. But a few verses earlier in, in Romans 8.20, he says that the creation was subjected to futility or brokenness in some translations, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. All of these things happen in our world to remind us that we are not alone in our world, that there is a God there who has purpose, not for just for these events, but for each individual person. In a sense, to be able to restore that relationship that was lost when we turn our backs on God or rebel against God. You mentioned the situation, Nate, with your daughters, and I remember very vividly what happened with my daughter when I was teaching her to ride a bike because I wanted her to be able to ride that bike to enjoy the experience and to join us as a family as we would ride our bikes together. And the first time I put her on that bike, she rode along and those training wheels were there, and it supported her, and she was laughing and giggling, and then the time came to take those training wheels off. And she rode maybe three, four, five feet, and then fell to the ground, scraped her hands and knees, kind of, you know, smacked her face into the ground, and she was hurting on every conceivable level. And she looked at me, and she picked up her bike and threw it at me. And she said, why did you take my training wheels off? And I had to sit down and explain to her that the reason we take the training wheels off is so that you can learn what the real joy of freedom is on that bicycle. And I need you to get back up and continue riding. And believe me, that was the last thing she wanted to do. But she did, and she continued to ride. And as she gained that freedom and that independence, she realized that the pain, as awful as it was, was worthwhile to gain that freedom. That's the argument that Paul is making here. When suffering occurs in our world, individually, collectively, or in the case of a whole nation, it causes us to step back and say, what is our hope? What is our purpose? If naturalism is true and there is only this this endless, meaningless life, then why do we care that people suffer? But we do care. We do care because God created us, created us to care, to look for after each other, and then ultimately to look for him. I find it so interesting, you know, in, in, the, in the Jewish religion and in the, in the, uh, the Hebrew scriptures, it talks about this idea of peace, this word shalom. 
And shalom is more than peace, meaning the idea of absence of war or conflict. Shalom means to reintegrate. And it's that idea that our integration with God, our integration with each other, and our integration with our natural world was broken because of sinfulness and rebellion against God. Shalom is a call to reintegrate our lives, reintegrate our lives with each other and with God himself. That's where the comfort comes from. That's where the the peace and the security comes from. And when we hear people today uh, use that word and they say shalom to each other, they're beckoning each other to see their humanity and the, and the earthly scale and to see their God and that religious realm. We know that Jesus came and he said, I came that you might have peace. That shalom, again, idea, the, the idea of reintegrating our lives to the God who created us, that's what our hope is. And anybody that might be listening and struggling with this, I would ask you, what is your hope? What is your security? Do we simply build better buildings or stronger reactors so that we can all kind of glide comfortably through life? Something will always happen to drive us back. That megaphone will always be sounding. What is your purpose? Where where does purpose come from? What is our hope? And I think when we... Start asking those difficult questions. God will reveal himself to us in such a wonderful way that we can finally say, oh, I understand there is a path to God, and it's through my suffering. Awesome, Ron. As we come to a close here, why does God allow evil and suffering and pain in this universe? Again, C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. No matter where you're at today, if you want to look more into this issue, we suggest you read C.S. Lewis's Problem of Pain, Peter Kreft's Making Sense Out of Suffering, and Dr. Dobson's When God Doesn't Make Sense. All three of those are good resources. We also want to ask you to pray for the people in Japan. No matter where you're at or where you're coming from, whether you're a Christian or not, we want to invite you to pray and ask God to help the people that are in Japan. Physical resources only go so far. And as we talk about that, I also want to say contribute physical resources as well. So let's all be generous about giving to this situation that is so needy. You could check online and find maybe an organization that you feel comfortable giving to, but I would just encourage you to give to the people in Japan today and to pray for them as well. All the news organizations, uh, CNN, Fox, CBS, NBC, ABC, they all have funds set up where you can donate very easily Uh, Whichever one you watch or follow, you can donate very easily, and they will get it to the right people to get it to Japan. And as we conclude, as we think about God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world, if God is knocking on the door of your life today, I don't want to leave without telling you that Jesus loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He says his thoughts for you outnumber the sand of the seas and that he's loved you with an everlasting love. He desires an intimate relationship with you in a personal way, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. No matter where you're at, you have not screwed up what he has put you here to accomplish. With that in mind, though, the Bible tells us that we're all sinful. We're selfish. We go our own way. Again, like we talked about today, that's part of the reason we see so much evil in this world. Hmm. And that sin has separated me from the God that loves me so much. 
The Bible tells me that Jesus died on the cross and he paid for every sin from my past, present, and future. And now he leaves the ball in my court and he asks me to put my trust in him, to ask him for his forgiveness, and to ask him to come into my life and take control of my life. And he says when I do that, he literally comes in, he literally forgives me. I can literally be confident that I'll be with him for eternity in heaven, not based on my perfection or on my performance, but based on what he did for me at the cross. And once you have that relationship with Jesus, you can be confident that whatever tragedy you may face, he will turn that around for your good. He promises you that in Romans 8:28. I once heard it put this way. When we look at a beautiful tapestry from the front, it looks beautiful. But when we look at it from the back, we see nothing but chaotic strings going every which direction. Sometimes on earth, things look like chaos. But in eternity, in heaven, for those that love him, we will see the purpose that was behind every single tragic event that happened on this planet. And if you're interested in checking out a local church, why not try the River Church this morning? The River Church is located at 860 Plymouth Drive, right here in Durango. The first service starts in just a couple minutes at 9 a.m., and even if you show up a little late, nobody's going to care. They are totally going to accept you for who you are and as you are. Nobody's going to judge you for showing up late. The second service there starts at 1045 a.m. I'll be there, and I'd sure love to see you there as well. And as we close here, if you have any more comments or ideas, please go to eternityimpact.blogspot.com and let us know what you think about the show. Tune in next week, same time, same station, KDUR 91.9 or 93.9 FM here in Durango, or listen online at kdur.org. And if you have questions about uh, issues of faith or religion, send them in. We'd be happy to talk about them. With that, I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Ron Martin. And I hope you'll listen in next week to The God Solution. Bye-bye. Oh, God.